Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving the perspective on the games that we love, the headlines of pop culture, and the meaning of it all. I'm your host, Winsor Burns, along with my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good, man. What's going on? It's going pretty good. And, and for this episode, we have a lot of topics to get into. And, and for the first half, we're going to have a special guest, Marlon Garner, a former college classmate of mine. And uh, thank you so much for being on for the first time, bro. Hey, man, I appreciate y'all, yeah, I appreciate y'all having me, man. It's, uh, it's an honor and a, a privilege to be able to, you know, talk and chop it up with you guys, man. Yeah, man, definitely. And, and to start off with, with our first topic, just with thoughts on the Celtics sweep of the Nets and just, you know, how dangerous they can be going forward. Um, this past Monday night, Boston was able to beat Brooklyn by four and Tatum had 29 points and Jalen Brown had 22. And when you look at the Celtics, just, you know, stellar defense, you know, they were able to defend Katie at a level we haven't seen in a while. And, um, Durant was able to kind of like finally have the type of performance where he's just seeing with 39 points, nine assists and seven rebounds. Um, but to you, Marlon, just, just what are your thoughts on how dominant Boston was in this series and how dangerous they can be going forward? Yeah, man, I think um, in the, that first game, game one, man, is, is yeah. what is what set that series up. Because um, I think if Brooklyn would have won that first game, it, it would have been, been, <laughs> been a different series. It would have yeah. been, I would say it would have been a game seven. But I think, uh, you know, still in that first game, even though Boston was the home-seeded team, I think they stole that game because Brooklyn controlled that game throughout the whole, you know, uh, <clears throat> minutes. But um, I think that, that, like you said, that great defense they played, man, where you had guys just constantly switching on KD and just throwing different bodies at him. He never had mm-hmm. the time to, you know, adjust until it was too late, game four, where he, you know, he went off. Uh, but I just think that, they did a, a fantastic job with their defense and, uh, you know, uh, setting um, KD different different strategies uh, the coach had for him, man. But um, I, I just believe that the defense was the biggest thing that helped them win that series, as well as, you know, getting your top guys to perform, good games out of both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and getting good minutes out of other guys, you know, guys coming off the bench like Pritchard. Uh, knocking down some yeah. big shots and, you know, and having some, some big, big games. <laughs> yeah, 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 big time. So, um, and then, you know, it's always going to be tough playing guys like Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant, man. It's yeah. But uh, I think Boston was ready for the test. Uh, I know going into that game, uh, before that, Jalen Brown was like, hey, man, we don't care who we play. We just want to play. So I think they had that mindset of a hey, mama mentality, let's go out here and win a game. Uh, and win a series uh, ultimately, and they did that <laughs> without giving yeah. up a game. So it was crazy. Exactly. Yeah, and, and so you, Savon, in terms of just how Boston was able to just have just a dominant type of performance in this series and what they did overall, like how much did it kind of surprise you that they were able to pull off this sweep and also just how their their top players were able to step up? I think Marlon said it the best. You you give KD a, a couple of different looks. Of course, KD's going to get his points when he's hot, but when you give him something different that he's not seen in any other series or games leading up to that to give him new looks, I think that plays a role. And then the biggest thing about that is them not having chemistry in the Brooklyn Nets. Kyrie hasn't played a full year. We talked about this. Ben Simmons opted not to play in game four. It still wouldn't have been a big help. But you look at, that's a big element when it comes to basketball. Everybody's going to get their points. But how can we come together, have fundamental basketball when our top guy is not shooting the way he shoots normally? And I think the biggest one I think nobody's talking about is Marcus Smart. We always see yeah. him defensive player of the year. a good defensive player, but he adds 20 points, 11, 11 assists, and a couple rebounds. That's a different element, hmm. too, because normally we just see him be a dog 
on the defensive side. Now he's been a true point guard. I think that is the difference for the Celtics because we already know Jalen Brown. We already know Jason Tatum is, is that guy. He's going to continue to be groomed to be that guy. But I think Marcus Smart in support, other supporting players, is the difference mm-hmm. for him this year. It may be the hump, help to get over the hump that they couldn't get over for the past couple of years. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like, when you look over at the past years with how they've, they, they've had a couple of series against Milwaukee and those two teams have, like, always been ones pitted against each other. Like, to you, Marlon, like, what are your kind of your initial expectations on how that series could go? Because even Milwaukee, like, they're not fully open <laughs> without Chris Middleton. But still, like, that, that is a, th- those are the, the, the defending champs and a very elite team. Yeah, the, it's always tough. It, it doesn't matter what team you are. Uh, yeah. Playing the books is always going to be tough. Just yes. because of that man, Giannis. <laughs> so dominant. Um, and, you know, just with, you know, just attacking the basket, creating problems for guys as far as causing guys to get in early foul trouble. I think that's going to be a, a big issue um, with us, uh, with, with Boston, because, you know, Giannis is going to be aggressive. Uh, and we and Boston plays an aggressive defense. So uh, I'm interested to see what the foul counts going to be. Uh, but I, I see that game going. The full, the full series, seven games, full man. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be a battle because you got two great defensive minded teams as well as you got decent role players as well. Um, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun series to watch, man. Yeah, for sure. T- to you, Savon, like, what are your your kind of initial expectations on that series and and just how those two teams match up with each other? I don't think it will go game seven, just given, we, just given the the mo Giannis has. No one on the Boston Celtics can guard Giannis. And he's he's added so many elements in his game. There's going to be a lot of guys in foul trouble. You see the series he's with now. A lot of guys don't even go up with and knowing they're going to get a, a, a call, a foul called on them. So they kind of play him at the best of the ability. And he could do pretty much anything in the paint. So as Al Horford will be in foul trouble. Marcus Smart, because he's going to come down, try to double. He's going to be in foul trouble. They might try to put Jason Tatum on it. He's too small. He might get in foul trouble. So it's nobody you can throw at him like they did Kevin Durant. Giannis is bigger, stronger. Yes, Kevin KD has a better shooting game than Giannis, but at the rim and in the paint, nobody can guard Giannis. No big man, no three, nobody can guard Giannis. It's going to create problems. And then that's good. The, oh, the three-point shooters are going to have a field day on the outside. That's the MO. That has been their, their go-to since Giannis came. Well, Giannis got to that certain point in the league. So I don't think it goes to game seven. They won't figure out how to play him. You can't figure out how to play him. It, so you got Milwaukee in six? Probably. most Not probably. Most likely. It's, it's hard to, to game plan around Giannis. It's hard. Yeah, that's true. Definitely. Uh, well, Mar- Marlon, what would be your official prediction? Your, your official prediction of the series? Uh, I say if if they can get uh, um, Chris Middleton come back in that series, which is not looking like it, uh, I believe that they could um, they could they could do some damage. But I still think it'll go go the distance. Um, but I got I got Boston pulling out a, a slight edge in Game seven. seven. Oh yeah. I, I, and I, I, I kind of feel as though it might be Boston and seven, just, just because of the fact that like they they seem to be clicking on just all the right cylinders, and and if Milwaukee's not fully healthy, like that could get a shambled Brooklyn Nets team. 
I got Boston, man. I'm sorry. I got Boston slightly. I, I, I got to respect Giannis, but I got to gotta give the slight edge to Boston. Bro. Oh, yeah. Nothing but respect for Giannis, man. Giannis yeah, is definitely. a beast, but I, I I think they'll figure out a way to, to slow down. <laughs> they said that last year. Everybody said that last year. <laughs> <laughs> you can't figure they haven't it figured out it out yet, bro. You can't figure <laughs> it out, bro. He's like Shaq. He's literally like Shaq. You could not figure out how to get. You have to get a, a guy bigger than Shaq. That's Yao Ming, and he still used to kill Yao Ming. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, if, Stick with the Bucks and yeah. Celtics. <laughs> yeah, if if the Bucks look, if the Bucks player role players can actually play well, I think I think that'll help him. But if if Boston finds a way to control that paint. And guys aren't knocking down shots on the outside. I think it's gonna be a rough series for the books. But like you said, if you can get those guys to step up and hit some shots, then I think it'll be be much better for them. But hey, I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and now getting into kind of fairly closing out their series in Toronto. You know, the Sixers they were able to just have a dominant road performance, winning by 35 on the road, as in beat at 33 points and 20 and 10 rebounds. Harden also added 22 points and 15 assists. And, you know, for the Raptors, they were a little shorthanded without their all-star guard, Fred, Fred Van Vliet. Um, but to you, Marlon, and just in terms of how the Sixers were able to have a dominant closeout series win and now get ready for Miami, um, what were some of your takeaways from, from this series win for them? Yeah, I think uh, Philly is has some problems. I think they have some issues uh, mm-hmm. that they need to figure out. Um, they do not look good at all to me. Um, Again, they should have swept that series. Like you yeah, say, you had a... Have, you, that should yeah. not have gone six. It, it should have not gone six. It, 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 maybe maybe five, but uh, yeah. they look a little suspect to me. Um, I think they it, it'll be a better matchup against Miami, but um, that series, they, they had no business being six games with uh, the Raptors. Like you said, they're down. Van Fleet didn't play a lot of that. Uh, you know, uh, issues with, you know, guys being injured and hurt and just, I think, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, oh, James Harden is kind of on the, the decline of his career. You know, you got Joel Embiid, who's kind of a selfish player, uh, I believe, uh, and a guy who wants the ball, demands the ball. Which I think good things happen when he touches the ball, but you have you have to have a balance. You got to let other guys get involved. Where you saw in that first game, where Tyrese Maxey had a crazy game, had a career game. Uh, uh, scoring a bunch of points and, you know, contributing to his team. But I just think they're uh, a team that is not consistent uh, enough yeah. to win games. Uh, I think it's, it's something always different with them. Uh, and I, I just I just can't see them going far in the playoffs this year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to you, Savon, like, what were some of your takeaways from this series win for them and how they – and how, how it will be for them going forward against Miami? Ooh. 76ers, man. Um, there is a lot to unravel every single year. Since they, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Since they came up with trust the process, and then after that, they've gone through general manager scandals from <laughs> coaching changes, from players coming in and out, trading big time players away. I mean. God, bro, like, what is it going to, like, you shoot 35% from the floor, you have 10 turnovers, (laughs) your guy, James Harden, who you go get, doesn't show up, Dolan B has a a thumb injury, Uh, Tobias Harris is so consistently mid, Uh, 
Bro, it's like they just cannot get it. Dangerously mid. Dangerously. <laughs> I, I got to say consistently because he's been mid since he's came over from the Clippers through that trade. So I don't understand what's going on within this organization. Doc Rivers is one of the <laughs> coaches that blows leads. Yeah, yeah. More than any other coach in the NBA. So I just don't under, I just don't know how to fix it. Joel B, I do think, is a selfish player, and he's a one-track player. And you can't – it doesn't matter who you put with him. I think you just cannot win with Joel Embiid. And I think – and he he said it himself, his defense – he was trash on defense. Your top Mm -hmm. guy, trash on defense when it matters the most. So it's like (laughs) – I don't. I don't understand it, man. I. I don't. I. I don't even want to speak on it no more. I, at this point, what are we doing? What. What are we doing with the Seventy Sixers? What are we doing? So. And when you look at a team like Miami, they're actually more cohesive, yes. even though like they, they may not have the offensive talent and they are mm-hmm. experiencing some issues with Lowry and Jimmy Butler. That team is never really going to beat themselves. Like they're always going to play no. disciplined basketball. Like 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 to yeah. you, Marlon. Like what are your, some of your takeaways on just how Miami's looked so far? Yeah, Miami is a team full of. Dogs. Uh, you got guys that are <laughs> hustlers, guys that are defenders. You know, PJ Adam, PJ Tucker. Uh, man, that was big time for them. Knock down some shots in the corner, as well as the fan hustle. Uh, you got Lowry taking charges. You know, causing chaos, frustrating people on the floor. Like mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler. You know what he does on the defensive end, and he can light you up on the offensive end. Uh, on, on some nights, man, it's, it's just. It's a team that is full of guys that are dogs, you know, uh, yeah. guys with that underdog mentality, not stars, but they're stars in their own minds. But, uh, man, you got guys like Hero <laughs> knocking down threes, Duncan Robinson. You got good mentor and leadership on the bench, and you Donald Haslam, man. You just got a, a team that loves each other and just go out there and have fun. So, man, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough series for, uh, mm-hmm. for uh, Philadelphia, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and now getting into to Dallas advancing past the Jazz to, to face Phoenix in the second round. Um, last night, the Mavericks were able to win by two on the road, and Doncic and Jalen Brunson each scored 24 points. And this is the first time the Mavericks have, have won the first round since 2011. Uh, <laughs> but to you, Marlon, like, with, with Dallas advancing now and just getting ready for the number one-seeded Suns, like, what impressed you the most about them in this win against Utah? Because they originally were, like, in the series without Luka. Now he's back and kind of finally getting adjusted to their, their regular rhythm. Yeah, I'll say this. Um, Utah, <laughs> they yeah, just can't get it together, yeah, man. Bro. I just don't, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand. On paper, everything works in their favor. That's what we say, Savon, on paper. <laughs> on paper. <laughs> always say that. On paper, paper looks good. Everything works in their favor. You got the guards. You got the bigs. You got the bench. You got everything that you need. But they mm-hmm. just somehow... Fumble the bag every time. Um, but, man, <laughs> it, it's crazy. It's true. Um, but, man, that team winning without Luka just shows how much, you know, they want to yeah. win, how much mm-hmm. of a fight that team has um, and how much of a leader he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Bronson going off in those games where Luka wasn't there, man. And uh, just having that guy that will be that backup, uh, when when your your stars down and go out there and show out, and then when Luca comes back, you know what he does. <laughs> the dude dude is amazing. Uh, walking triple double. Uh, guy that's super smart. Uh, super uh, tricky at you know drawing fouls and you know baiting defenders. 
Yeah, yeah, man. He's a special player. Special player. Um, so man, just them dominating that series. They 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 dominated that series. Um, it just it just was a surprise to me. Um, because you know Utah was you know a, a favorite, even though they were the lower seed, they were a favorite to win that series. Uh, like I said, without Luca at the beginning of those uh, that series, and it's just it's just frustrating to see that good of a team not <laughs> be successful. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, to, to you, Savon, in terms of, of 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 what the Mavericks were able to do and just how they were able to make adjustments, even without Luke in the first two games, what impressed you the most about just how they were able to get through this series? Find people finding a way to to be successful. I, the biggest the biggest takeaway from them not playing with well, playing without Luca, besides Brunson, as Marlon said, I think Dinwiddie, man, Spencer Dinwiddie has stepped up. He's coming off the bench. He's he's done everything under the sun. He's a guy who's who could give you buckets. He could guy who he could give you big minutes when it matters the most on the defensive side. I think he's one of those guys. And then in this last game, he came off the bench and gave him 19 and 31 minutes. And then I think <laughs> everybody, even Finney had his career high 18 points. And then you have that Luca effect, man. Him coming back was the best thing for them. It just brings the morale up more and it makes the defense draw into them. And he, he when you do that, you're going to have guys like Bronson who's going to drop and hit a three-pointer when he gets the ball. I think that's the what I, what I love about Luka. Just be not, he's just not a scorer. He's, he's a guy who can facilitate. He has everything. He's a well-rounded basketball player. Like you say, he's going to be the next face of the NBA because I think he's well-rounded, just like LeBron James was. Because he, he loves mm-hmm. getting his teammates involved. I think that's the beauty of it. But when you have that Luka effect, when you have guys who can knock down the shots when the Luka effect is in, in effect, no point intended. But I think <laughs> you get games like this come down to the wire, and then Conley travels, and then there's another opportunity. Yeah. And then you you win the game. Now you go <laughs> to the second round of the playoffs. And you're going to meet some a good team. Just just be prepared for it. I think yeah. they're going to have a, it's gonna be a decent <laughs> series to show how, how good Luka effect is and how good Luka is. Not just his effect, but just his, his ability to score and do all those other things. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, for you, Marlon, in terms of like the best or, or, or just like what's the next move for Utah? Because obviously like th- this team ha- has kind of like really run its course. Like Trade what move like do you feel, do you feel as though like they should, they should possibly make and you know, what, which player, you know, should they try to build around going forward? <laughs> you got to build around. Donovan. You got to get Donovan no. Mitchell what he wants. No. You have to get him I'm what he wants. You don't think so? I'm sorry. Go, I'm, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Rudy? Absolutely <laughs> nobody. Absolutely shot. nobody on that roster, bro. Absolutely said, nobody on that please roster. Shot. Wow. Okay. Nobody yeah. on that. I mean, I, I I don't think you can clean shop because yeah, not, that'll set them back, way back. Um, that, but I think you got to stick with one guy. It's not Donovan Mitchell. They try to give it to him the past three <laughs> years. He he's not the. I, I don't mean to cut. Yeah, go go for it, and I'll just come back. But uh, no, no, no. Go ahead. It's not Donovan Mitchell. We've seen him <laughs> not step up to the plate multiple times. When they had, they didn't even have need the pieces. They already had yeah, the pieces. Yeah. You had uh-huh. uh, one of the defensive players of the year, Rudy Gobert. Mike Conley was fully healthy. You had people coming off the bench. They just got Clarkson last year. I mean, yeah, last year. But mm-hmm. they, in that years, when they was going deep into the playoffs, 
it was up, set up for Donovan Mitchell to be the guy. He didn't step up. He didn't close. He didn't. He wasn't capable of doing <laughs> it. And you get 23 points in 38 minutes when it mattered the most. What do you need? Like, <laughs> what else do you? You're the guy. I agree with that one. I agree <laughs> with that one. You're the guy. I'll ask you, like, what what type of player do they need, though? Do you believe that organization needs? Uh, what do they need? A Westbrook this, type of player? Do they need a a young guy to come in? Like, this, uh, they see. need a a a all around inclusive team that de- doesn't have like <laughs> you look at Miami Heat. Jimmy Butler is on, not on the decline, but he's not at the Jimmy Butler when he was with the, the Bulls. Can we? So I agree. They have I agree. A, they hero is coming up. Like they have a good number of guys that can pick up the slack. They need that type of okay, roster. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, they I see don't what have you mean. that yeah. roster. Like you look yeah, at the, the Celtics roster, they got a dog in Jason Tatum, and they got guys mm-hmm. around him. So they put people around Jason Tatum. That's the normal basketball roster. But you look yeah, at I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, so like they need that. Donovan Mitchell can't be the guy you put people around. You need multiple yeah, guys see, to pick up the true. slack. Yeah, because <laughs> they try to do that, but it's not. I, I, I have no against Donovan Mitchell. I just think, yeah, I think he he can he should be, but I don't think he's he's. I don't know. What, yeah, he was supposed to be like another D Way type player. Yes, like he was supposed yeah. to be that. Yes, yeah. he was. Yeah. Yes, he was. And, and he has he has his moments. Yeah, he yes. has his moment, but it's, oh, like you yeah. said, it's not consistent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and before we even get to, to to the next topic, Minnesota, Memphis, like that that game's game six is going to be tonight. And both those <laughs> both those teams are just like neck and neck. Like to you, Marlon, like what is kind of like so much young talent with what John Morant's been doing, Anthony Edwards, Edwards. Like what is stood out to you in that series, and who who do you think like could could actually uh, win it going forward? Man, I think Minnesota knows how to give away games. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> what I've learned from this series, that team, it should be three one. The series should be three one Minnesota. Um, but man, I think uh, Ja is just showing how special he is um, uh, in closing those games. Man, just keeping his team in it, and again, Timberwolves just giving away the game. Um, but uh, those guys, they hang around and. Uh, I think John Moran is just man. He's he's coming up big in the clutch, and even even guys um, that you don't really uh, notice. Guy, they got good bench production, and, and man, I just think uh, the Timberwolves aren't a smart enough team to close it out. So I think I got uh, Memphis taking it, uh, and I I got them ending it tonight. <laughs> yeah. Um, to, to you, Savon, like, what are, what have kind of been your thoughts on that series and, and who should, like, possibly have the edge even tonight or in, in, a, in a possible Game 7? You know, I did say this is going to go to Game 7. I still believe yeah. it's going to go to Game 7, just given what the teams have done in the regular season, high scoring. We already knew it was going to be back and forth. I do agree with Marla, though. T- <laughs> Timberwolves is not smart enough or they don't have the extra <laughs> juice to finish these games out because literally the... The Memphis Grizzlies should not be in a series if you really look at it. Like, Timberwolves no, were dominating no. <laughs> the first two games. And not in first, game three, they had like a 21-point lead like yes, twice and blew it. And blew <laughs> yeah. it. And you see the yeah. excitement they can bring to the court. Like, they should not be. It's a good just, team. <laughs> yeah, John Morant is a really good player, but the surrounding 
people they have right now, there's no way they should be going like fighting against the Timberwolves. But I think that's an no. testament to these young guys, though, man. The, the, I think the league is changing, and that's the same team that I was referring to. This is what <laughs> the uh, Utah Jazz should have. They have a <laughs> bunch of guys. Exactly. Jaw's the guy guy, but he's not the guy guy yet. He's he's showing Spurs that he can be the guy, but they have. They have players around him that will pick up the slap when Ja was hurt most of the season. They went on winning streaks without Ja. So it's just like they have a, a good enough team to withstand without their top player. Give Donovan Mitchell yeah, right now, that one. Utah Jazz would not be sustainable. But, done. They're done. <laughs> but I think yeah. Timberwolves is going to come out. Wisconsin's going to wear it. Patrick Beverly's going to wear his all-black Air Force ones. <laughs> 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 and then he's going to have slob on both sides of the mouth, and they're going to win this game. He's going to go to game seven. Go to game seven. Memphis is I, seven. I hope, I hope it goes to game seven, man. It, this series is exciting, man. Yeah, it's, it's so exciting. exciting Basketball needs again, bro. It hasn't been like this in a Definitely. while. Yes. Yeah, and now getting into to Golden State's just successful first round versus the, the Nuggets. Uh, in game five, the Warriors were able to pull off the win by four and. Steph scored 30 points in, in his return to the starting five and also had 11 points in the fourth quarter um, after Golden State began the final 12 minutes down by eight. But, you know, now they're advancing to play the winner of the Grizzlies Timberwolves series. But to you, Marlon, just what are your thoughts on how well Golden State looked in this series and Steph returning to the starting lineup? Yeah, man. Uh, Golden State is starting to look like the Golden State that we yeah, are Golden State, familiar with. 2015 yeah. Golden State. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, man, I think it's going to be tough to beat that team, bro. <laughs> Too many weapons. You got too many weapons. You got guys that, uh, like Steph, who's going to knock down the shot. Guys, mm-hmm. Jordan Poole's going to knock down the shot. You got mm-hmm. guys like Clay that's going to defend and knock down the shot. You got Draymond's going to bring that energy, uh, get everybody riled up, and going to make – just changes the energy and the feel of the game, man. You got mm-hmm. your big guy, Looney, just, you know, dominating on the glass and, you know, uh, just attacking. It's just – they have a complete team. Great bench. Uh, yeah, it's just it, it's gonna be tough to beat that a team. Complete uh, team, it's a complete yeah, unit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, like I said, they did they did what what they were supposed to do in that first round. Uh, yeah, they let one game get away, but happens when, yeah. when you got a, a team that was down uh, like the Nuggets were missing two of their top three players. Uh, it's gonna be hard to you know win a game, uh, even though you got the you know uh, reigning MVP. Uh, it's, it's just it's just tough to beat that team who can you know score in many different ways, whether it be finishing at the basket or knocking on a three ball. And uh, you know what they do, specialize in three balls. So a lead is not safe with the Warriors, whether it's a 10-point lead, 20-point lead, mm-hmm. two-point lead. The Warriors are always going to be in the game. So uh, I think just have too many weapons. And they, like you said, like I said, they're looking like uh, the Golden State Warriors that we know. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. To you, Savon, like with how well Golden State had had looked in in that Mm. first round and what they have going forward, like what has kind of impressed you the most about just just this collective unit and and what they're putting together? The chemistry again. Like out of all the like, we we know we're going to get the high flash shooting, finding ways to give give guys the ball. But I think the chemistry, these passes, man, I haven't seen you. Chris passes, getting people to their points. Like that is the biggest thing that you want in an entire team. It's just not one player. It's not Draymond, mm-hmm. Steph. Right. Jordan Poole be dropping dimes. Uh, mm-hmm. Even Gary Payton the second be dropping dimes. It's just, 
I, I love the chemistry. They know where everybody is, except that one play Draymond threw the ball that almost took uh, Clay's head off. But outside <laughs> of that, I think the chemistry. But I do think whoever gets the the Golden State Warriors, they need to realize or take some points on how to beat <laughs> the beat beat them because they do look like the 2015 uh, uh, Warriors that we've seen of like you, you really can't get in awe of how they shoot. You got to be consistent in how you guard their, their screens and all that stuff. Yeah, they're going to knock it down, but be consistent when you get to the point. Don't get in a three-point exchange with them. That's the that's one of the big ones. It's, it's a lot of things that you can do to beat the Warriors. It's just be consistent and don't try to get everything at once. Don't play hero ball. I think that's how the Celtics, not the Celtics, that's how the Cavs were successful at one point. In a, in a couple other teams. Only a few teams that have been successful against the Warriors. Yeah. But that's what they did. They didn't play hero yeah. ball. They knocked that knocked down at it. Even when they was up like 15 points, they just stayed at it, played good defense. And then eventually they'll get into the game. So don't play hero ball. Be consistent and get into the screens, the off-ball screens, and just play your game. That's it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and now getting into just thoughts on the Suns closing out the series in New Orleans in Game Six, um, Phoenix was able to win by six on the road, and Chris Paul was you know fourteen of fourteen, the most field goals without a miss in an NBA playoff game. And the Suns overcame a ten point halftime deficit to advance. But uh, to you, Marlon, like the, the the Suns, they were they were facing a series without Booker for a little bit. Now he's back, and Chris Paul had had a perfect game. Like like what stood out to you the most in this series, in which you know an eight seeded eight seeded Pelican team really pushed them to the brink. Mm. Yeah, man. Uh, first off, uh, kudos and hats off to the Pelicans, man. They they really fought and, uh, you know, showed true grit in that series. But uh, in the end, it just came down to having that finals experience, man. Uh, those guys were ready to play. They were ready to step up uh, when that guy Booker went down, man. It's, it just uh, – they were they were, they were like, hey, we've been, we've been there before. So I think in the end, it just came down to them having that more experience – uh, and playing that group of young guys who was technically a non-seed, uh, if you go by the the regular season <laughs> stats, yeah. So, uh, but I th- I just think like that's like I said that experience, and then you got that vet in uh, Chris Paul, who's you know just gonna control things. Uh, he great passer, great scorer when he wants to be. Uh, I mean, just you know, good teammate that's gonna be a leader and uh, bring his team up. Uh, and if you know Chris Paul is, he's going to push his teammates. He's he's not afraid to tell yeah. guys, mm-hmm. you know how it is, and, and get them going. So I just think that leadership uh, helped push those guys to step up. Uh, guys like uh, Eight and then uh, you know Cameron Payne, uh, who we usually don't see a bunch of uh, big uh, plays out of, but guys like that stepped up. And I just think in the end, it came down to them uh, having that finals experience. But uh, hats off to you know. Those guys uh, over there in New Orleans, man, they they put up a fight and had uh, made the they had right the with some fits, man. Yeah, so yeah. they uh, good defensive-minded team, uh, guys that play with a lot of energy and uh, passion. So it's gonna be uh, fun to watch them in the coming years, especially if they get Zion back, man. It's gonna be crazy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to you, Savon, in terms of what Phoenix was able to do in closing out this series and kind of showing that that poison experience. Uh, what kind of like stood out to you in it, and what they what they have going forward against Dallas? Uh, before I even get into, I think the Pelicans Pelicans forgot who Devin Booker was. I've never seen a top rated <laughs> guy get that many clean looks. 
I'm never, I've never seen never, that bro. Yeah, bro. He got, I mean, he only had three. They didn't look at the scout report. Yeah, they, they didn't look at the scout report. I mean, like, he nah, went out three games, but he didn't have big numbers. He had 13 points, but those shots uh-huh. that he knocked down were ideal, and they were right yep. on time. You can't yep. give that guy those clean looks. You got to make it hard for him. But I think they forgot who he was. Like, who's this light-skinned cat? Don't got no eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> but man, yeah. <laughs> I, we, all, we all know Phoenix is one of them one of the top fundamentally sound teams in the NBA. They've been one of the most consistent. When one guy goes down, Chris Paul is always there to kind of bring everything back together, bring bring things in perspective. And they have a good squad on paper and yeah. on the court. That's they translate mm-hmm. it on the court, but they got to get over the hump too. Two years back to back. Yep. They got to get over the hump. What's going to be the deciding factor? I think going into the series against the Mavericks, they're going to have to play against a really good Dallas Mavericks team who got Luka Doncic back. Like, I'm sorry I took so long to bring that out, but... <laughs> You're building up. You're building up, man. Build it up, fellas. I But I think yeah. they're going to come against a guy, Luka Doncic, who's, who's hungry. Who He's been out for yeah. a couple games. I think Luka's going to yeah. go crazy. Can they withstand? Can they do something about that? But I do think it's going to be hard for the Mavericks to come in to be the fundamentally sound team, even with Spencer dealing with oh, the yeah. bench and Brunson playing a high basketball. It's going to be a good series, though, bro. But I think Phoenix. I agree. Is going to, I agree. Yeah. I got Phoenix. Yeah, I got Phoenix. Too. Mar- yeah, I got Phoenix. Marlon. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say that. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel as though like this, like it will be a back and forth series, but. With Phoenix's experience and what they have have as as a collective, it's just going to be too hard to overcome. Like yeah. to to you, like Marlon, is there a specific X factor for Dallas? Do you think like that really needs to have a big series other other than Luca? <sighs> no, I think everything is going to have to fall on the Suns because <laughs> mm. I don't think there's any one thing that the Mavericks can do other than yeah. what they've already been doing. Uh, yeah. I think we've seen their ceiling. I think what's going to have to happen is. Uh, That's crazy, yeah. Some things with with the Suns are going to have to, you know, be on the down. Uh, some guys are being uh, foul trouble. Some guys are dealing with some injuries. Uh, are are they going to have a healthy uh, Devin Booker? So I think it, the factor is going to be can the Suns be a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, that Suns team that we've been seeing. So that's what I think it's going to come down to. Because I think I think the Mavs are going to bring what they bring. Uh, so that, that's what it's going to come down to. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, Marlon, it has been an absolute pleasure yes. having you on for the first time, bro. And we got to have you, got to have you on again, bro. Yes, sir. No, for sure, man. Oh yeah. Nah, it was, it was fun, man. It was, it was a good conversation, good talk, man. And good being on the show, man. Definitely. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Now we're getting to the second half of our topics, and we're joined by another special guest, Basil Koloba, a former high school classmate of mine, and just was so gracious to be on for the first time. Thank you so much for being on, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's good to reconnect, man. Yeah, absolutely. And to start off with, with our uh, first album review with Pusha T's It's Almost Dry, um, in his new album and fourth, which you know included just 12 tracks of, of braggadocia and was complemented by exemplary production slip by two of you know hip-hop's greatest producers with Kanye and Pharrell. Um, to, to you, Basil, in terms of Pusha T, you know, trying to elevate his art to new heights along with um, having outstanding production, what were some of your takeaways uh, from this new album? Matt, I liked it. I could start off right there. Like, I'm a production guy. Um, personally, like, I like to dabble in production. I don't have, like, anything on SoundCloud or anything like that. I just do it for fun uh, for my music background. So seeing Pusha T 
with his lyricism and like his ability to just put words together. And then having Ye and Pharrell, two of the greatest producers, not only like alive, but to me of all time, leading the production on the entire album. Incredible. Of course, like for somebody like Pusha T, especially coming off his last album being Daytona, I feel like the bar was set really, really high for him. Daytona was perfect. Yeah, Daytona, Daytona was, was just perfect, right? So like, what do you do whenever you get an album? You know, you release another album coming off of a legendary one like Daytona. I don't think he hit Daytona, but I give it a solid like 8 out of 10. The production and what he was able to do with his flow on top of it was perfect. And to me, like a guy who's what, like 45, mid-40s, been talking about the same thing for 20 years. I can still do it well. Still does it well. That's my thing. I know a lot of people come from the approach like this guy's been rapping about Coke for 20 plus years. Can he say anything else? But to me, I'm like, who else do you know? that can talk about the same thing for 20 years and still make it sound good. Drake. Like, that's talent. That's just got to be talent, you know? True. Very, very true. Um, and, and between the, the between both sides, like, which production impressed you more, Pharrell or Kanye? I'm a Kanye stan, so... Okay. Anytime I hear a solo sample on the beat, like, I know Ye's probably behind it or that person was influenced by it. So I really liked the Kanye beats the most. And I saw, I saw like, I think they released another version of it where it was, like, Ye versus, versus Pharrell. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, I listened to that one, too. I did like the Kanye beats a little bit better, like, overall. But I do think that Push did his best verses on the album on the Pharrell beats. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, t- well, Savon, the moment of truth has come. <sighs> Savon has been oh, waiting to rip apart this album. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of your thoughts apart, on it, bro? bro? Man, this was mid, bro. This was not dangerously mid. This was just a mid album. The best thing about this album was the production. I was hyped more for the Pharrell and Kanye collaboration within the album than Pusha's T's song. I, 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 I do. He's definitely a lyricist, and he definitely has bars sometimes. But some, I don't think he knows how to put it in a, a full album. I don't even think Daytona was a perfect album. I, I, when y'all said that, really? I, I threw up a wow. little bit. Just You didn't think so? No, I didn't think Daytona was a perfect album. Okay. I don't. It was like four or five songs I really rock with, but it wasn't something that, that's on repeat. Have y'all listened to that since? I have. I have, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I went back and listened to it this week. Ah, that was, album was crazy. <laughs> ah, crazy. Okay, but this album was dry. It was definitely drywall. Like... <laughs> Can't <laughs> use puns on the time. <laughs> like, bro, this was not a good album, bro. Like, it was not a, the best thing about this album was the production. It's just I don't know. It's just in jail. Maybe I got the lyricism was just too redundant for you. It wasn't even. It was just him. Like, it's just him. It's just him. We've we've seen this twenty plus years is the same thing. He doesn't do anything different. Like, it's the same thing. Only and thing changes still fire. You know, that's the, that's the thing about really fire. Good. Nah, he's not a flame though. He's 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 never mind. I want to get into semantics. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll I'll think of a pun off the top of the head, but I don't know. I just for me, this was like this was mid. The production was the best thing about this album. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, in, in terms of like to, to to you, basically, like were there any like particular tracks in here that you went back to and listened the most, or, or was it just like a collective, just overall like enjoyable album for you? It was overall enjoyable. I would say, like, I didn't think the album was perfect. I really did like it. Um, and there were specific... Some of the features, some of the features, like Lil Uzi Vert and... 
uh, Don Tolliver. I didn't, I didn't expect him to collab with those type of artists. Yeah, I didn't expect that one. Like the script it off track, that one kind of threw me off a little bit hearing Lil Uzi and Don Tolliver. I warmed up to the tracks themselves, but I don't know if they necessarily fit with like Push the Sound and the production that was on the album. Yeah. <laughs> For me though, uh, hearing Jay-Z on Neck and Wrist and Frell on that one, that was a peak moment for me. That was um, I pray for you, seeing him reunite with his brother, seeing uh, getting clips back on the track is always great. Even kind of like seeing Malice. First of all, like he dropped the note off of his name. I thought he's no Malice, but now he's gone back to Malice, I guess. Um, him kind of like taking a, a shot at his own brother on his brother's own album and his own track was kind of dope. And being like, you guys know my brother. Like he talks a lot. He didn't really do all of this stuff, which I thought was funny just because <laughs> Bush just like he does rap like he was Pablo Escobar. But he, he, we all know he really wasn't. He's not. He's not, you know? And, like, his brother taking a shot at him was, it was funny. It's like, some playful brother stuff going on there. But my favorite one was rock and roll. Uh, hearing Push, Ye, and Cuddy all on the same track, produced by Cuddy. I mean, produced by Ye. That was great. I thought Ye killed, uh, Cuddy killed his hook on that one, and the production was good, too. But they're never going to do a song together again. Cuddy and Kanye are done forever. I know. Cuddy said that. I know. Like, he said he's done with them. He says he's done... I'm I'm hoping it's just like, you know, industry drama. Yeah, it but might be. We'll see. We'll see. If this was the last track I got from them, I, I'm okay with it. At least I'm it wasn't like a it. dud. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Savine, were you impressed with the Don Tolliver feature? I mean, I know you're a Don Tolliver fan. Like, did, did that impress you at all? It did not gel whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it did not gel. Uzi and Don Tolliver gel, but not Pusha. It's only nah, certain artists that can go with that sound of music. It is like it's hard to be able to put like actual hip hop because he's a definitely hip hop guy, but to whatever you want to call that rap or whatever. But I do think I love Pray for You. That's one of the songs I did like. That was fire. And then yeah. I did like Neck and Wrist because I mean I, I Jay Z. I'm a big time Jay Z fan too. So top five, top five. Um, and now listening to Lutz Goldmouth uh, Deluxe Review, in this album, along with six added tracks for the Deluxe, it's just a very self-reflective sonic experience and was extremely sincere. Mm. Um, he covers feelings such as being hungry for success, fear of impermanence, and, and facing fear head-on. Um, but to you, Basil, like, what did you think about this album overall and some of kind of like your favorite tracks in it? Man, you know, I hadn't really never listened to this artist before. Uh, but I like it. I definitely got to like warm up to him. That's a sound that I'm not like really familiar with from him as an artist, but... I liked it overall. I don't have like specific tracks that I liked on it, honestly. Um, but yeah. I appreciate you like introducing me to him because I hadn't really heard him before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's a really underrated artist. Um, to you, Savon, like like overall, like in terms of this album and and just what he was able to put together in it, uh, what stood out to you and some of the elements you liked the most? Slept on artist man. He's really authentically hip hop. Uh, I love the way he can, you know, construct songs and contours his voice to the songs, man. I think it's definitely dope how he does that. And he has the voice and the cadence for it. It makes you want to continue to listen and how aggressive he is on some of the tracks that he has. But the production was nice. I thought the features were really good. Obviously, you're going to bring people from Dreamville. I think the BJ Chicago Kid feature was was really dope. Um but it was a bunch of songs I really like. Be okay, eye to eye was nice with Cause. Westside Boogie, man, he slept on too. Westside Boogie is crazy good, and um, Flossum was really dope. But I think overall this was a solid project. Yeah, this is a bunch of these songs got saved to the library. I mean, and it was nineteen songs. I mean, there were a lot of songs I saved on it. I mean, like that was really impressive to me as well. Like how long the the album was, but he still was able to like 
keep a lot of just engaging type of tracks in it. Yeah, it, it, when it got a bit in the middle, it kind of got a little stale. But then at the tail end, like when he, when you get into out of sight, finding yourself like a tail end, then it gets back into the groove. I think that was more of an intermission in the middle, just filling, filling the album with different type of songs that were like solid enough to be on the album. Then it got back good, great at the uh, tail end. But I thought it was uh, definitely solid though. If I can ask a question, uh, how you guys feel about these albums being so long these days? Not, honestly, me me personally, I'm more of a more of a fan of concise albums, yes. like twelve to fourteen tracks. Like that's like my my go to target. But I do know some artists they like to affect the streams and be like, I'm gonna add as much as I can so more people can listen to it. But me personally, I would prefer like just a concise project where you're kind of like getting what you what you want to get across, like in a short amount of time. Right. I like the concise part, but I do understand because songs are getting shorter or have gotten True. shorter. So I think if the it has to. Uh, pick up the slack somewhere so it's going to be a longer album. Most of the time when it was 15 songs, the average song was like three minutes, two minutes, 45, you know, some in that area. Now songs are like one minute, 45 seconds, 230. So if you're going to yeah. do that, people are going to expand the album even more. But I do like the concise number of um, songs because it can get dry still. At some point, I'm like, dang, how many songs on this album? Even if yeah. it's somebody you rock with. Like even Drake's album, I'm like, bro, there's a lot of songs, but I rock with them a lot. I'm so gonna yeah, I'm still going to listen to it. Like yes, yeah, it's a lot. Because I feel like I still have the same amount of songs on the album that I like. You know, if it was like an 8, 10 song album, I probably like seven of them. Right. Now they have like 19 songs on it and I still only like seven of them. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Y'all are just adding all this extra stuff on here and I feel like my grade for the entire album goes down because now I don't like half of it. Yes. And if you would have just kept yeah. those seven, I would have been like, nah, this is fire. Yeah, Definitely. Um, and, and now getting into it's a Frank Ocean's a Chanel Orange review. Um, in this album from 2012, the songs that are packed in here are just you know extremely compelling and unjudgmental portraits of dark subjects. And this album gave Frank just a lot of unstoppable momentum. And there's a wildly original talent as we have always seen from him. But uh, to you, Basil, like, what are your thoughts looking back at this album and just how influential it, it was? Yeah, man. Like, this is coming up on its 10 year anniversary pretty soon, isn't it? Crazy. Which is crazy, man. Like, I remember when this dropped. I think I was like in ninth or tenth grade whenever this dropped. Um, this is one of my favorite albums of the past 10 years, like no doubt. This is what got me like really into like Frank Ocean, the R&B bag. I'd listened to Nostalgia Ultra before this, but this is when I feel like, of course, Frank Ocean turned into like the star he is today. I love it. Definitely. The songs on this uh, album that I like, of course, like Thinking About You is so popular. Super Rich Kids is popular. I think I can do the entire Earl Sweatshirt verse. That one, I love it, man. Like, that's like my claim to fame is I can rap that entire verse. And then Lost and Pyramids. Those four no, songs Pyramids are crazy. I love it. And I think it impacted like a lot of the R&B artists that we hear right now. A lot of people mm -hmm. who kind of have like that Frank Ocean sound that they put their own little twist on it, but they've been able to do it. And I think he impacted the sound of music up until today for the past 10 years. Sure. Is it better than Blonde, though? I like Channel Large more than Blonde. I okay. Uh, to, to you, Savon, like looking back, looking back at this album and just like what it kind of signified and, and what it carries even going forward. Uh, what were some of like the the highlights and what stood out to you in it? But this album was trash. <laughs> I'm joking. This is bro. This is stupid solid, bro. Um, yes. Who? 
I love the monologues in this album, bro. I love the little slight getaways, man. Come back with my car, man. I just, <laughs> I just want my car, man. But no, um, man, thinking about you, I think really sets the, the mood of the album. And then you go to Fertilizer. Bro, like every song, like I don't skip a song. Sierra Leone is one of my favorites. Uh, Super Rich Kids, of course, with Earl Sweatshirt. That's when I start really getting into Earl Sweatshirt's music because of this song. Mm. Um, Polly Jones, Crack Rock, Crack Rock, like all these songs hit, bro. I don't skip a song. So for me to be not be able to skip a, well, that's a lie. I skip White, not because it's named White, <laughs> but I skip White. I don't really like Mike White, whatever. Now that sounds bad. If you listen out there, if you White, you listen to Full Scope. I love you. Don't let us get canceled. Don't let us get canceled. <laughs> I love yeah, you guys. Get canceled. Yeah. They got a soundbite on you now. Right. <laughs> But no, my favorite all time is probably Pink Matter on this album, though. Yes. With Andre mm, 3000. I mean, that, that, that verse was scary solid, bro. I was going to say, like, we couldn't go through a Channel Orange review without talking about Pink Matter. Like, what he did on that track about, like, him talking to the cab driver, getting yes. out, like, everything he had on his mind. Man. Yes, bro. I remember the first time I heard that song. Crazy lyrics, yeah. Definitely. And, and I mean, to you, Basil, like, when you look at what Frank Ocean can do in his albums and just the legacy he has. Like, like what impresses, the, impresses you the most about his artistry and just how he can put together songs in just a different type of way and even the interludes uh, in, in just like a creative fashion? He's real. Like, he, mm-hmm. he talks about some real topics, man. Like, that back half of Channel Orange, you know, we just talked about Pink Matter, but even coming before that with Bad Religion, like, mm-hmm. he's talking about some really, really heavy topics, but he does it in a way that, one, is not, like, preachy, because I feel like a lot of artists, they get on a track and they start like talking about like social issues or whatever or personal issues people have. And it comes off kind of like pretentious, you know? You kind of don't want to listen to him. Uh, but he does it in such a real and raw way. And his vocals, just the way he, he lays on the track is good, man. And he connects with a wide range of people. You know, you can have the most like thug dude you know. He'll be listening to Pink Matter and be crying. And then you'll get like another person, complete opposite of them. They'll be listening to Pink Matter and crying. Like he can get to anybody and communicate universal. that message. He, yeah, exactly. He's universal. Definitely. To, to you, Savon, like what impresses you kind of the most about Frank Ocean's artistry? Besides him being authentically real, I think it's just the way he, his production, bro. Like mm-hmm. some of these beats, like Pete Matter's beat is so like, <laughs> it sounds simple, but it has, it's edgy to it. It brings that different element to what he's, like his music, like when it first comes on, like when he said, Ala Akbar, please don't like, <laughs> I'm like, no, that's bad religion. Pete Matter, I'm thinking of Pete Matter. Well, how Pete Matter comes in, just like, what in and it's like melatonin, then it gets up. Like his production is crazy. It goes right along with the words he says. It All of it aligns and, with, well, I'm, I think I'm rambling at this point. I'm just gonna shut up now, guys. I love nah, you. I lost my train of thought, guys. Wait, <laughs> it's been a long day, bro. You're good, bro. You're good, man. Um, it would be full but, score but, without Savon going, just going yeah, blank. It has to happen. Yeah. It has to happen at least once in the show. <laughs> Pyramid production is crazy, too. That intro, yes. the two parts on it. And one thing I noticed, just because like I'm a, I'm a production nurse, I'm a nerd out for a second. The beat on Pyramids is not a loop, which is crazy to me, especially that beginning part. It's not? Nah, like if you listen to the bass line, each bar, it changes. Oh, it which sounds like, like a loop. Yeah, it, it sounds, sounds like, like a loop, loop, but if you listen to it like, like really closely, it changes every single time. And that speaks to what you're saying, Savon. Like his attention to detail and his perfectionism yeah. is crazy. 
You just you just really just lifted the veil or the ear ear veils. Yeah, that's crazy. I thought it was a loop this entire time. Whoever just looped it out and then added more elements to it. Ooh. That makes me like the song even more now. Even more. Yeah. Even more. <laughs> production is big when it comes to making music, bro. Like it you is. can have the trashes lyrics, but if your production is nice, yeah. I know a lot of artists who's lived off <laughs> production. <laughs> <laughs> Who are they? <laughs> uh, Uzi, uh, Lil Yachty, Don Tolliver. <laughs> like, the list goes on. All these guys, bro, have lived off production, bro. They don't say nothing. Playboy Cardi, like, all that style of music, bro. They really don't say yeah. nothing. <laughs> like, bro, they really don't be rapping about nothing. So, it's true. Yeah. Um, and, and now getting in, into our, our, our latest review of Daniel Caesar's Please Do Not Lean. Um, in his latest song, along with Bad, Bad, Not Good, there's two separate parts that flow seamlessly into one another. And Caesar's collab with the instrumental jazz band really sets the tone for, for what's to come. Um, so you, Basil, like, what were some of your thoughts on, the, on this new track and the overall feel of it? I liked it, man. Daniel Caesar's back in his bag, and it, it was smooth, you know? It was just a really, really smooth track. And I feel like him, I know he got canceled not too long ago, right? And I believe so, yeah. I don't actually know why, but if he wants his music to get back on track, like, he's got to kill it. He can't do anything that's like beyond like a 10 out of 10. And if this whole album's going to sound like this, like he might be able to get back into people's like Apple Music or Spotify or whatever they're listening on. Because this track was good. It was smooth. I feel like I could play it in the car. I could play it whenever I'm working. Like it was just a chill track. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to you, Savon, like what were some of your initial thoughts on this new track? He got, wait, he got canceled? Yeah. For something. Uh, you know, they cancel people every that. week nowadays, though. I just knew he his music with decline, like that last album, Case Study or whatever, straight trash. But this one, it sounded like he went back to the the church roots. And mm-hmm. he that's what the main was with Feridian, whatever the name you want to call it, whatever. Feridian. That's that was the base, the foundation of the entire album was his 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 roots to the church. And I think this song kind of you know resembles the same thing. I thought it was definitely a vibe. Definitely he you know, stayed in his pocket of singing and what he knows how to do. But I thought it was nice. I thought it was a nice vibe. I think it's a step in the right direction of bringing his music back to the full circle foundation of what he did in the first album. Because it's you see the difference. His first album and his second album was totally, yeah, it was not the same. Not he the didn't same he didn't progress in any way. Case study was not good. But this, I think this is a step in the right direction, though. Definitely. Um, and now getting into Absol's Holland Days review. Um, in this new song featuring a beat by you know Top Dog Entertainment producer Cal Banks, you know it reflects on his childhood aspirations and self assurance, which you know came with a rich word to play. But looking, but kind of looking back at this new track for you, uh, Basil, like what were some of your takeaways on it and, and just your overall thoughts with it? The production is what I always go to, man. Like if the production doesn't hit, like Savon was saying before, the song doesn't hit for me. And like he was getting real introspective, and he was he was talking his stuff on this track for sure, but. What that top dog producer did on this track was A1. Listening to it, like, I think they switched up the beat, like, at least twice, right? Yeah. At least twice. But the intro into, like, the beat drop was killer. I really liked that. Um, And the sample that they had in there, that, like, little, I don't know what that was. But, like, every bar or so, they would kind of do, like, that high note that would kind of go up. Makes you bounce a little bit. I like that. It was a good, it was a good pairing with, like, the, the stuff he was talking about on the track. Definitely. Uh, to you, Savon, like, like, what were some of your takeaways on, on this new song and the things you kind of liked the most in it? Yeah, the production is crazy. Um, the mix and mastering was 
Mason Masson was nice too. I think his his vocals was really tight. I think it, it was cohesive to the the, the beat because sometimes you can have a nice beat and how they do their vocals, how they mix and master his vocals is kind of like, ah, they should have did that a bit different. Should have had some more verb or something or took some of the auto tunes off. He's just, or the EQ or whatever the case may be. But I thought this was, it was tight. It went with everything. Um, and, you know, Ab Soul is, <laughs> that boy can rap. He can rap his butt off. Oh, yeah. He's very lyrical. He be having bars that, that Jesus, that Jesus Washington bar was fire. It was nice. A lot of people won't get that. But he has some other hidden gems in there too that you got to like replay like, oh crap, oh, that was nice. It's a lot of lyrics, you know, from artists or rappers that you just, it just goes over your head sometimes, but listen to it again, you'll be like, yeah, this, this dude's nice. But um, yeah, that, I thought it was. That went over my head. What was that bar? It was, uh, hold on. Keep talking about that. I'll bring it up. <laughs> I'll bring the lyrics up. <laughs> nah, now you're good, Basil. But, but, but I was going get to get to this for you, Basil. Like, ha- have there been any like albums earlier this year or, or maybe ones coming forward to that you've been impressed with or, or just kind of like been going back and listening to the most? I uh, know Future dropped an album last night, or he just yeah. dropped one recently. I haven't gotten a chance to listen to that, but yeah, there have been some that have been dropping le- lately. Matt Keen and Yesta or Esta, I don't re- really ever know how to say his name. Um, those two working together, Esther. they just dropped an EP not too long ago, I think maybe like in April, uh, called Intersections. I've been listening to that on repeat for a minute. It's really oh, good wow, if you I haven't checked check that out. out. Yeah, really? that's a good one. It's like a really, um, it's like kind of a soul LA style R&B or hip hop. That's been a good one I've been listening to. And they're part of this collective called Selection. If you haven't heard of them, definitely check them out. Okay, definitely. So, Savon, have you been able to find the lyric? Uh, the- <laughs> no, they didn't put the lyrics on there. I would have to play the whole song. But it was like a, oh. a simple, yeah, I can't remember it all. But it was, it was just like the Jesus, peace, passion, Christ type. Whatever he just aligned them together and just kind of was a nice uh, little point, but um, it made you think though. And then he kind of went into the the next bar. It kind of was cohesive, but neither here and there. Normally they put the lyrics out. Whoever his team was was lazy and didn't put the lyrics. Yeah, drop the ball. Drop, drop the, the ball. lyrics, man. So, over can, here. so we have to pause the podcast <laughs> and mute myself. Got and gotta listen to, to the song. God, man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Made me look well, Basil, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> My fault. Basil, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on for the, for the first time. And, and uh, thank you so much for being on, bro. Hey, man, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Definitely. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Reservoir Dogs review. Welcome back to the show. And now we're getting into our Reservoir Dogs review. And to start the overview, Reservoir Dogs is a 1992 crime film written and directed by Quentin Tarantino in his feature-length debut Starring Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney, Michael Madden, Tarantino, and Edward Bunker. Um, this film is about diamond thieves whose planned heist of a jewelry store goes wrong. It picks the events before and after, but not during. It has a 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Had a budget of 1.2 to 3 million and brought in 2.9 million in the box office. Um, but to you, Savon, to start off, like, what are your and what were your initial thoughts on how this film included just a lot of Tarantino's hallmarks and just so many pop culture references? Man, <laughs> I thought this was a crazy film. Um, I forgot what age I was watching this. Yeah, shout out to my parents who didn't care about uh me watching films. <laughs> shout out to them. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember this vaguely, bro. I remember this vaguely because we obviously 
we, I'm a big fan of uh, Quentin Tarantino's f- movies and how he films his movies and the different progression of years. This is a pro Tarantino podcast. Yeah, but you can tell <laughs> you it goes like he had a style in that era, bro. Look, you look at from the suits. Sure. They was in suits majority of the same suits that Samuel Jackson right. and John Travolta wore in Pulp Fiction. So it's just like the same kind of aesthetics that he has in most of his films. And I thought it was really dope. Like it's always somebody killing somebody. It's always like a funny monologue here and there, especially at the diner. But I really thought it was a good film. Um, I thought it was a lot of action at that young age. But now li- looking at it and revisiting it, now that I'm older, I was like, yo, this is this is really a Quintertino film. This is it is, bro. This is ideal Quintero film. But it was really good though. And and, and that's the thing, like. And, and, and we, we even did a review like a couple episodes uh, ago with the Raging Bull movie from Martin Scorsese, and that was an earlier film of his. Like when you when you think about these directors who have earlier films, and you can kind of see the difference in how it was for them earlier on. They still have elements they have now, but it's just a little different. Like, do you feel as though it's one of those things where those those filmmakers kind of take back from what they did from the first movie, or is it just one of those things as they progress from each movie to each movie? Yeah, as technology and different cameras come out, like you're able to do those, think of crazy shots and actually do those with the cameras and thing they have now. But I do think they always have that foundation or those aesthetics that they like becoming a filmmaker and implementing those into that. Martin Scorsese does that a lot. How his his low panning shots, he comes in, he uses scenery well. Quentin Tarantino has aesthetics with the, the clothing and just the monologue. It's always crazy monologue. And uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, film. So you take that in the, the much technology and cameras that they progressively have in the different ages and stages of film, you're able to think of out-of-the-box uh, shots and out-of-the-box, uh, you know, scenery to, to shoot with. So, yeah, I, but I do think they still have the foundation of what they, what made them become filmmakers and directors with each movie they do. Yeah, definitely. Um, and getting to our first topic from One of Four Stars, what would you give it? Um, looking back at this one, like what would be your particular rating from one of four stars? I have to give it a four. Um, mm, wow. I give it a high praise. <laughs> no, yeah, man, I give it. <laughs> well, it's a, you, you always you always do the halves, man. <laughs> this this is this is the, my co-host is like I'll give it a three and, three and a half. half three. <laughs> give it a three. This was a four. I mean, like it had it checked all the boxes. I think the 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 monologue was good. The dialogue was really good. I think the the. Uh, you know, the foundation of the movie. They had good supporting actors. Then they have a big time, you know, actor in this. Had a bunch of guys that, you know, fit in the role well. Like, you know, Harvey can tell it wasn't, he's not a big, big actor, but he's he's good enough. He's like a B-lister. I'll say that there's a bunch of B-lister guys in here that sustained the entire movie that made it good. The shots were were decent enough. Um I thought it was enough action. I thought it. I thought it checked boxes. I thought I think he checked boxes, and I think this is definitely a Quentin Tarantino film. Like he, he, it just checks boxes. When when a film checks boxes, and I'm not nitpicking, then it's gonna be a four. Because it had him. I gave it three and a half. I know you. I <laughs> <laughs> Why did you give I'm it a joking. three and a half? Oh, you gave it. What you give it? I gave it a three. You gave it three. I, I, I gave it. I gave it three. I really did think it, this was a solid film because, like. It obviously feels like a stage production made for film, and because like to me, like the the conclusion was possibly like not as satisfying as some of his other ones. That's the only thing I would I would nitpick with uh. it. But obviously, as you mentioned, like the characters have just a, a lot of substance, and it just keeps the audience guessing. But a, a very solid film. Um, getting into favorite character, 
I personally would go with Mr. White because it yeah. felt as though he was kind of the most experienced out of all the other criminals and did show just having a conscience throughout everything that transpired. Um, to you, who was kind of like your overall favorite character? Mr. Orange. Um, I like Mr. Orange just because like he's, you know, he's, he's going to stick to his guns. And when he believes, he's going to believe like, you know, but I, by far my favorite is Mr. White, obviously. But if I had to choose somebody else, it would be Mr. Orange. I just think he, that monologue they had in their diner kind of like solidified like how everybody thought, the thought process and how, you know, how they kind of like moved throughout life or whatever. But they have the same goal. They're on the same team. It's trying to get the same objective done. But I think Mr. Mr. Orange was that that rebel. That, <laughs> that guy just revolts or whatever. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and now getting into uh, kind of like most memorable scenes. Um, I had uh, You're Gonna Be Okay where Mr. White is driving in a state of panic and Mr. Orange is, be- is bleeding from the gunshot mm-hmm. in the back. Also, Mr. Pink flees from the cops. Uh, Mr. Blonde tortures the cop. Uh, the twist revealed. And finally, the, cl- the climatic standoff. Um, to you, looking back at this one, like, were there any particular scenes that you kind of found the most memorable? Every last one of those, when it was picking the names, was a good one. It was like, well, I got to be that. What does yeah. it matter what your name is? Yeah, what does it matter? And then <laughs> when they're talking <laughs> about the tips, like, them, oh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Orange. Yes, bro. Like, it really made me a fan of Mr. Orange. He's like, bro, okay. No, that wasn't even Mr. Orange. I'm confused. That's Mr. Pink. No, 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 no. Mr. Orange is the one who says something about he doesn't tip, right? We're getting the colors mixed up. <laughs> yes, bro. Hold on, wait. Yeah, Mr. Orange is the guy who said I don't tip. Yeah, that guy right there. Tim Roth. Bro. Right. Yeah. Such a good actor. Yeah. That's the man. But no, yeah, okay. Let me get back to what I was saying. <laughs> but no, I thought that scene was like really dope because everyone was like, what do you mean you don't tip? And then the, the guy was like, oh, you go to tip. We give you the food for free. But I thought that was a good scene. Kind of like it break. It was like the... I guess the interlude, if if you will, like all the chaos, what they've done prior to that and them coming to this. And you kill people for a living. You don't want to tip the lady? Like, yeah, she don't deserve a tip. Like, what's what I'm a tip her for? But I thought that was a good, like, interlude to the next thing. Who has conversations that people would have, like, in regular days. Yes. Like, like <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what's so, like, interesting about his movies. And I'm sure he's had that conversation in real life. So I think like everything he experienced, he just translates into his films. Like, I'm pretty sure he's had that argument or conversation with somebody like, why you don't tip? Like, why you don't, like, you know, and just like about an, about the name or something like that, you know? But I think he kind of translates what he experiences regular day, regular day life and just adds into his films. But yeah, that was one of the, 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 <laughs> the memorable scenes that I have, oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um, and now getting into most memorable quotes, I had uh, the entire song is a metaphor from Mr. Brown. Also, no real people from, from Mr. Uh, Pink. Yeah. Let's get to work from Joe Cabot. Um, I don't have to tip because society says I have to from Mr. Pink. And then yes. finally, Larry, I'm a cop from Mr. Orange. Uh, what were some of the, the quotes in here that you kind of felt as though like were the main standouts in this movie? Those definitely. I think the one with uh, Mr. Blonde and Mr. White, he was like, hey, Joe, you want me to shoot this guy? He was like, shoot, you shoot me in a dream, you better wake, wake it up and apologize. So it's like, you don't <laughs> yeah. kill nobody with this. So you wake him up and kill him, boom. Like I thought that was like, he had standards. It's always like, uh, not a standard, but like a way of doing things in every business. Yeah. Certain order. Yeah, certain order of things. So like, you don't kill a man when he sleep. That's, you know, that's not uh, what's honorable. I guess morals. I guess yeah, morals. Mor- right yeah, morals. <laughs> and that's not honorable. If you're going to kill somebody, he needs to look you into the eye. He or she needs to look in yep. your eyes and be able to do that. I'd rather not kill anybody. But... Yeah, first of all, <laughs> just, just don't. Just don't do it. <laughs> but I really thought that, that really kind of like opens up um, Mr. White's character a little more 
for him yeah. being that guy who's who's the leader and was like, all right, can't kill a man when he's asleep, bro. Like, wake him up. Like, wake him up and like, hey, I'm about to kill you. Bow. And he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> bro, and, and, and I mean, like, looking at this film compared to other Tarantino movies, like, do you feel as though, like, this, because you, you, you gave it four stars, like, do you think this is, like, a top five or, or maybe in, in the top ten of Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino movies he's ever done? Definitely top six, for sure. Definitely top six. Um, cause his his catalog is so extensive, bro. Um, yeah. but I do think this is top six. It's like it could be in the top five, depending on. Mm-hmm. No, it can't be top five. It's too many good films, and we've done this top five before. Because I don't think it's as good as Jackie. I still feel like Jackie Brown's a better movie. See, I still think Pulp Fiction. Go ahead. Oh no, 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 good, good. No, I, I was just saying. I, I feel like there's a there's a couple films I would still put ahead of it, but it definitely does have that six spot for me. I'm really not a fan of Jackie Brown. Oh, really? I haven't like watched it, like as much. Yeah, like or okay, I get. That. I don't remember watching it at all, bro. We reviewed it, so you had to have watched. I probably just <laughs> didn't tell you. I didn't see it. And that was another movie that Savon didn't watch, or we just acted like. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give out the secret, Wellington. But nah, man, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> But no, I don't remember. I don't remember watching that, bro. But okay, I mean, but you would have this. At, you, you would possibly have this at top five. Is that is that what I mean? Top six, top six for sure. Five. Top six because you got from has to be from dust till dawn. You got Pulp Fiction. Yeah, you man. got Django. Like you, you got it's a bunch of his films, man. Like I his catalog, yeah. as we say, it's always it's too deep. It's crazy. I do think this is number six. I do. I do think it check boxes enough to be in the number six. For sure. Um, and now getting into kind of like what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, to me, just how this film focused on so many circulating narratives and high pressure moments while you know still incorporating a high level amount of dialogue and balanced plot structure, as we always see in movies directed by Quentin Tarantino, was was really impressive to me um for this one. But to you, like what partic- what particular element of this storyline did you kind of like the most? Ooh. Oh man, I liked how. It was a bunch of different personalities in this group. And I think each name, well, not, I mean, each name and color, if you will, go well. I think it was strategically put for the for the characters. And every color has a significant, you know, significance to it. Like red is like uh, you know, passionate or something, I forgot, whatever. But I think every color, like Mr. White is is blank, is like. You you know what you're gonna get is a white canvas, but it still has some some seat like some wait no let me let me switch that up it's a standard white is the stand like a standard like you know what you're gonna get is it's like set set forth and then pink like you get what I'm saying Wellington I feel oh, yeah, like yeah, I'm I, crazy I feel, you, I feel you I feel you no bro you're you're you're, you're talking <laughs> you're talking man you're telling us you're talking to the people you're talking to the people man Wellington that's they're not listening they're not listening that's to your you, bro. nice way of saying bro what are you talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, bro, not at all, but, man. No, it's just it's just rambling sessions, rambling the rambling sessions, man. Yeah, sure, it's rambling sessions. But I, <laughs> I I know what I'm trying to say in my head. But I'm just saying, like the names and the this colors, they go, all they, they all carry like like a significance yes. or or just a certain yeah. I get mm-hmm. definitely get yeah. So I think I like that element to it. Besides the the action and the thrill that you get from his movies, it's a little intricate details that he does with the characters, like the, like I said, the name, the colors, all that has a meaning to it, and it brings light to 
the bring the light to the character, why the character acts the way he do or why he talks the way he do. You know what I mean? So I thought I like that. Yeah. Besides what the storyline, the action and stuff, I thought that was the intricate detail of that was good. Absolutely. And I mean, like, before we get to our last topic, you, you even mentioned how this cast just was able to fit so well. It, it may have not been like the A-level type of cast he usually has. Like, do you feel as though that's what make, makes this movie even more impressive than some of his other ones? I mean, not, not saying that that is his most impressive, but the fact that this cast that wasn't A-level was still able to, like, fit together so well to, to make just an impressive movie. Yes, I think that's that was the most impressive thing because we see all his other movies, they've had, like, A-listers, like a bunch yeah. of A-listers. Pump- Pulp Fiction had, uh, you know, Samuel Jackson, John Travolta, and um, what's the girl named Kill Bill? Ah, uh, what's her name? Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman. She was in Kill Bill. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lucy Liu, like uh, Vivica A. Fox, like he in mm-hmm. Jackie Brown, obviously. Uh, uh, De Niro, like he always have the A listers for this particular film. They have a bunch of B C lister guys. Like Chris Penn was in a bunch of best of the best films, like supported cast roles or whatever. He was in um he was in Rush Hour. He was the guy with the broken nose. Like it's just all these supported actors and able to carry this film and it check boxes, bro. That is crazy. There's no A-listers in this film, but there's a bunch of guys who came together. It was a good script and they really didn't have to do much. But I do think Michael Madsen, aka Mr. Blah, really acted his butt off. Oh, yeah, for sure. He acted his butt off in his film. And I think that was the different element. Like, you get all these guys together, B-listers, but they bring out the character even more than A-listers. They got something yeah. to prove. Um, And getting to our last topic, you know, 10 years from now, do you still think this will be watchable and intriguing? Mm-hmm. It is definitely, you know, uh, past that, that bar in so many different ways. Yeah. And I, I, as we're able to see a cast like this put together just so much, like, continuity and be able to flow so well, and and you really do get those, like, those captivating times of dialogue and just the certain monologues that are in it, it really was able to to age just just so gracefully. Um, to you, like, what do you think will continue to make this movie just a watchable and intriguing film? Just be, just because it's in a uh, is a Quentin Tarantino film. That's that's the biggest thing you take from it because you look at the 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 cast list. You're like, who are these guys? Like, are they even making movies anymore? But it, it wouldn't draw you no. in if you, if you just saw the cast. <laughs> this will have to be on. It will have to say Quentin Tarantino something yeah, six fifth for somebody yeah, to keep watching. Yeah, be like, oh, this is a Quentin Tarantino film. And TikTok, TikTok has made this that uh, diner scene has came up. It, oh yeah. And well, it said I was wrong. It was Mr. Pink. He said he doesn't tip. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, wow. it was mis- not Mr. Orange. Mr. Pink. That's the guy who's always in Adam Sandler's movies. Like he was a firefighter in real life. Then he became an actor. But he's always in Adam Sandler. Steve Buscemi. Yes, yeah. yes. He was the guy who said I don't tip. So, yeah. There you go. Um, it, it, and it, it really, and, and and that and that really is is the thing because like. Do you feel as though, uh, um, even a even a director like Tarantino, do you do you feel as though like when when he looks back at this film, he can kind of see like, do you think he nitpicks it in certain ways, or do you think it's one of those things where he understood like he possibly he wasn't to the extent he is now, but he needed a film like that to really get to the level that that he's at. You know, I don't take Quentin Tarantino as a guy who nitpicks his what he does because he's strategic of what he puts out anyways. So I think the process he goes into every possible scenario and he probably rewrites the script probably 30 40 times as he's like okay i think i'm oh, ready yeah. for production if you do all those steps before and you still nitpick after you you're insane <laughs> 
you, yeah. you're insane. If, <laughs> you got issues. Yeah, you have issues. You did all this preparation. You probably rewrap the script a lot. You probably were strategic right. who you wanted in the film. And you go back and like, ah, I wish I would have shot that better. Oh, I wish I would have did this. If you still do that, you are a crazy perfectionist. But I don't think Quentin Tarantino is that guy. He he does that. He does that in the beginning, which when he comes back, he's like, okay, this is a good film. Because if it made it out, I'm pretty sure he gets a lot of scripts and he thinks about a lot of movies he want to do. But it has to be special for him to be like, okay, I'm about to produce this thing. I'm about to go and see who wants to pay some money for me to do this. So yeah. I don't think he nitpicks. Absolutely. Um, well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm your host, Wenza Burns, along my counterpart, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later. <laughs>